Well, good morning, Nansman River Baptist Church. Will you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? As you do, I want to welcome any of you who may be joining us because a friend or relative or neighbor invited you, or maybe you just showed up at the park and said, what are all these people doing out here? Let me tell you who we are. This is Nansman River Baptist Church. Now, you may think that that is a building that sits on the corner of Highway 17 and Bennett's Pasture Lane up by Burger King, but it is not. That is the building that we meet in uh, 51 weeks out of the year. And for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years now, we have met here one week out of the year because the building is not Nansman River Baptist Church. These people are. And so we're, we're glad that you have come to join us this morning here at the park. And as the sun is about to peek out again on what I think is going to be a wonderful morning of us worshiping the Lord and studying his word and eventually fellowshipping together as Baptists are known to do around some fried chicken. So thank you for being here. My name is Ryan Bryce. I'm one of the pastors uh, at Nansman River, and it is my privilege to welcome you uh, and to open God's word together. Uh, typically at our church on Sunday mornings, we do exactly what we have done together. We have sung together. We've prayed together. And then we work our way through on most Sundays through a book of the Bible. And it just so happens that this year we are in the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to a church very much like this one uh, in the city of Corinth. And so we are just moving verse by verse through that. And because that's what we're doing on Sunday mornings, whether we are at our building or we are out here, that's what we're going to do today. So church family, I'll invite you, as is our custom, to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. And I'm going to read verses 18 through 23 for us this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you, the wind got me, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning for your word, that we can trust it and we can know you because you have revealed yourself to us through your word. We ask God this morning that your name has been greatly praised by Nansman River Baptist Church gathered here outside in our community. Father, would we not boast in men as we have seen in this scripture today, but would we boast only in what you are doing through the powerful work of the gospel of Jesus that through it we know we have found life. Would we make this gospel known this morning, we pray in Christ's name, 
Amen. Church, you may be seated. Normally, if you gather with us on Sunday, you're used to having a printed version of the sermon notes. We didn't want those just flying around everywhere. We did email them to church members this week, but I'm going to try to make this uh, outline as simple as possible as we move through uh, these six verses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 together. The sermon this morning is entitled, The Only Question That Matters. The only question that matters. Now you have likely, if you've lived any amount of time at all, been asked some very important questions in your life. There are some children in here that probably think it's out here today that probably think it's a very important question that they've already asked their parents multiple times. When can I go to the playground? One child came and asked me that this morning and it wasn't even one of my own children thinking, well, maybe the preacher can let me go to the playground. It's an important question for the children. For many women in this room, for, I say in this room because I'm used to saying that, for many, many women gathered with us today, you think the most important question you were asked was, will you marry me? For some of the men, it maybe have been, are you ready to have children for others, maybe it was a job offer. Will you come and work for us? For others, it's not a joyful question, but if we were to say, what's the most important question you've been asked? It's, will you undergo this treatment? Because you've had some kind of medical issue that you've needed to face and, and you've had to decide between surgery or chemotherapy. We've all faced important questions, but I think at the end of the sermon today, I'm going to ask you what I believe is the only question in life that truly matters. The main idea of today's sermon is that all who come to saving faith in Christ alone belong to him forever. All who come to saving faith in Christ alone belong to him forever, and we will see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 23, as we look for the only question that matters. We're going to present this outline to you in three parts today. The first is our flesh tells us that we're good enough to save ourselves. The main idea of the sermon, all who come to saving faith in Christ alone belong to him forever, is in direct contradiction to what our flesh tells us. Our flesh stands in contradiction to the word of God because our worldly minds, our worldly wisdom, our flesh that is so enslaved to sin says, you are good enough. We've all grown up hearing this message. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. You are good. You are special. And that is a worldly message, a message that we internalize from our youngest age to think, you know what? I am pretty good. 
And so when we're confronted with the idea that we are sinners, we like to think, well, no, other people are sinners. There are certainly bad people in this world, and you have seen those people on the news this week, and we just, we're, we're consumed with the idea of the presence of evil, but often when we turn to our own lives, we don't think that we are really that evil, and that's a lie from the enemy. It's the lie our flesh tells us that we're basically good. This is where most Americans, most people in our culture, if you were to ask them, do you think you're good enough to go to heaven? They would say something like, well, sure, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm nice to my family. I don't steal from my employer. I've never killed anybody. I, I'm, I'm pretty good. That's a lie of the flesh. And Paul addresses this lie at the beginning of verse 18 when he says, let no one deceive himself. The truth is, church, that when we tell ourselves that we can earn a place in God's kingdom on our own, that we can be good enough to have our good outweigh our bad, we are rejecting the very message that Paul has here in 1 Corinthians 3. We are deceiving ourselves. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes a very similar message, a very similar warning, and he says this to that local church. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And this is the message that our flesh tells us. This is the message that we're brought up in the world believing that we are something when we are really nothing. When we think we can do something on our own to please God, we're really just lying to ourselves. He continues in Galatians chapter six in verses seven and eight with this, do not be deceived. There's that warning again. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You see, the results of a life controlled by the flesh, controlled by our sin, believing that we can please God with our good works, ultimately reaps the corruption of the flesh and the eternal consequences of them. Paul writes to the church at Rome that the wages of sin is death. Wage is something that you earn for something that you have done. It matches the same language of Galatians chapter 6 of sowing and reaping. If you sow certain seeds, you expect to reap certain seeds. And when we sow sin, we reap the consequences of sin, which is in Galatians 6, the corruption of the flesh. In Romans 5, it is the wages of sin, which is death. But we can also sow in the spirit, Paul says in Galatians 6, and only through the spirit can we have eternal life. So while your flesh may tell you, your sin nature may tell you that you're really not all that bad, if that's the belief that you have today that you believe will earn you a right place with God, understand this, my friend, you have deceived yourself because our flesh tells us that we are good enough. But the scripture tells us, the word of God tells us that we are not. 
Number two, the gospel provides an upside down yet exclusive means for our salvation. Let's consider the rest of verse 18, verses 19 and 20 together. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. The gospel is, as I've said here in this point, the gospel provides an upside down and yet exclusive means for our salvation. I say that the gospel is upside down because it makes no sense to our human understanding. It doesn't make sense to us. Our flesh hears the gospel. It hears the good news of Jesus and it doesn't make any sense to us. It seems foolishness to us. And so then Paul tells us that we must become a fool. And yes, this is an invitation today to become a fool. We become a fool that we may actually be wise to the work of salvation that God is through doing through the gospel of Jesus. Now, if you are a member of Nansman River, you regularly attend our church and you've been here during this first Corinthians series, you've already heard and kind of processed some similar language in 1 Corinthians chapter one. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, Paul said, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now in chapter three, verse 19, he says, for the wisdom of the world is folly to God. So in chapter one, he says that the, the gospel is folly to the world and in chapter three, he says that the best man can do, the wisdom of God is, the wisdom of man is actually folly to God. He's saying the same thing in chapter one that he's saying in chapter three. He's just coming at it from two different perspectives. That the gospel does not make sense to us. It seems entirely upside down to us. It, it, in our flesh, we, we can't comprehend, number one, why God wouldn't think we're good enough because we look at ourselves, we're pretty proud of ourselves. We think I'm doing pretty good. We certainly can't comprehend why God would send Jesus, his only son, to die in our place that we might live. We, it just seems foolish to us. The, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. We, when we become foolish in the world's ways and the world's wisdoms, we actually become wise to God's way and God's salvation that he provides through Jesus. The world thinks the gospel is foolish, but God knows that the world is foolish because of our sin. If we go back into 1 Corinthians chapter one again, where he's already said the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. He continues and he asks some questions, some rhetorical questions. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. 
but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let me remind you of what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 1 because it's the same thing he's saying in 1 Corinthians 3. It's while the world may think the gospel of Jesus is foolish, they may think it's upside down. Really, it is the power of God to save those who believe and it is an exclusive offer of salvation. That whether Jew or Gentile, whether Jew or Greek, no matter where you come from, there is only one way to be right with God. It is exclusive. Our secular society paints a picture. It's the only picture of religion that they'll really tolerate. And that's this picture of God at the top of the mountain and all of us just kind of doing our best, finding a, our best, finding a path that works our way somehow to the top. And regardless of what path you choose, as long as you are, are working on yourself and doing okay, then eventually God will accept you. That's the current wisdom of our world as it relates to religion. But the claim of scripture is an exclusive claim. It claims that all of those paths ultimately lead to destruction, that none of those paths actually make you right with God, that only by believing in Jesus alone for salvation can someone truly find salvation. And Paul does something for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that I think is very helpful. In verses 19 and 20, he quotes from the Old Testament. In verse 19, he quotes from Job chapter 5 where he says he catches the wise and their craftiness. And then he quotes from Psalm 94 in verse 20 when he said, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Let's think why that matters, why that's helpful for us this morning. It's, it's helpful because those are Old Testament passages. One of them, the, Job 5, predates the law. One of them, Psalm 94, was in the midst of the law. And in both cases, before the law was given to the people of God in the Old Testament from Moses and during the application of the law to the people of God, God in both cases says the wisdom of this world will not prevail. The wisdom of this world will not draw men and women and boys and girls to salvation. It will not make us right with him because it's never been about the works that we do. It's never been about us trying to be good enough. It has always, the plan of God has always been to confound the world with how he redeems his people. We are redeemed not by our effort. We are saved not by our good works. We are made right with God, not by anything that we do, but what with God does for us. And this has always been the plan of God. In Job's day, in the psalmist's day, in Paul's day and in our day, the way that anyone has been saved, it is by recognizing that we cannot do what Jesus has done for us. And while it may seem upside down to believe that God would send his one and only son to die in our place, that we might find life, that is the exclusive path to God. Number three, True freedom is only found in belonging to Christ. True freedom 
is only found in belonging to Christ. Let's look at these last three verses together, starting in verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. This is Paul's conclusion, really, for the first three chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 4 is an application. If you'll remember, the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians is about the unity of the local church. And he's now concluding his argument, and he's going to move into chapter 4 with the application of that argument. This reads kind of as doxology. It's doxology is doctrine that praises God. We, we should read kind of a crescendo here that, that he's concluding an argument. An argument that needs a little bit of explanation if you've not heard any of the previous sermons. You see, one of the problems that the church at Corinth was facing was that they had become very tribal. They, they, had, they had formed divisions and groups amongst them based off of what preacher they liked best, who baptized them, whose teachings they liked. And, and so they were forming these groups within the larger group. And some were saying, I belong to Paul and I belong to Apollos, who was another preacher in the day. And I belong to Cephas, which is, which is another word for Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus. And even some were saying, I belong to Jesus. That's, that was a problem that the church was facing and Paul's writing to them to try to correct that. And he says, so don't boast in men don't boast in Apollos or Paul or Cephas or anyone or even yourself because your salvation is not connected to anything you did. It's not connected to anything Paul did. It's not connected to anything Apollos did or Cephas did. And by the way, Nazareth River, it's not connected to anything that I did. Your salvation is connected only to God. He alone saves you and he alone is the one that sets you free from sin and places you into the family of God, making it to where you now belong to Christ. And so it makes sense for us when he would say, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, what he's saying is you don't belong to them their message belongs to you because you are in Christ. But he continues with five things that seem kind of interesting to us. They're at least interesting to me. He doesn't just say that Paul or Apollos or Cephas, he also says the world or life or death or the present or the future. And then he says, all of these are yours. One of the commentators I was reading was I was studying 1 Corinthians 3 this week, called these five things, the world, life, death, present, and future, the tyrannies of human existence. And he says these tyrannies are of human existence are what people have, are in lifelong bondage to in sin. That people are in bondage to the world that they're in bondage to life, that they're in bondage to future death, that they're in bondage to the present, that they're in bondage to the, the future, that this is all encompassing of our existence. And that those who are still dead in their trespasses and sin are in bondage to them, they're slaves to them. That all they can concern themselves with is 
the world and life and death, the present and the future. They can't go beyond them. But in the gospel, Christ declares that the world is his. Through the gospel, Christ offers life to those who are dead in their sin. In the gospel, Christ conquers death in our place. In the gospel, Christ declares that we can live for him in the present. And in the gospel, Christ gives surety for our future. We don't have to worry about what tomorrow holds because Christ holds it for us. For those in Christ, we are no longer slaves to this world. We're no longer slaves to life. We're no longer slaves to death. We're no longer slaves to the present or slaves to the future. We have been set free. These things that used to control us now belong to us because they belong to Christ. And we are in Christ. These things are ours because they are his and we have been set free by him. Jesus promises his disciples that this was coming in John chapter eight. He says, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. They're in bondage to sin, they belong to sin. But the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the hope that we have that these things that are the tyrannies of human existence that hold us in bondage, Christ sets us free from all of them and we belong to him. And then Paul ends this kind of doxology. He ends this concluding moment by saying Christ is God's. You may say, well, that seems kind of strange. That's a strange statement that sometimes confuses people because Christ is a person of the Godhead. We believe that God exists eternally as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, but they are all God. So we would say, well, how can Christ, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, belong to God? He's not talking about the person of Christ belonging to God. He's talking about the plan of Christ that belongs to God. It is the plan of salvation that Christ would come and die in our place, be raised to life by the power of God. It is this plan that has eternally existed in God, that he would redeem a people for himself. This is why we refer to these verses as doxology, as doctrine that worships, because as we read them as people who have been born again, as people who are no longer slaves to sin, but are alive in Christ and belong to him, we recognize this simple fact that no matter what happens to us in this world. We have been set free from the tyranny of this world because we are in Christ and we belong to him. So what? Go back to the very beginning. I said this sermon was about the most, the only question that truly matters. And here's the question that I would want everyone gathered here, everyone that can hear my voice this morning to answer, am I still a slave to sin or do I through faith now belong to Christ? Maybe somebody at some point in your life has asked you to marry them and you thought that was a really important question. Maybe somebody asked you to do some job in this world and that job has defined your existence on this planet. 
Maybe someone has asked you to have children with them and those children have defined your existence and you think that those questions were the most important questions in your life. I can promise you the one that I'm asking you this morning is the only question that truly matters. Are you still a slave to your sin? Are you still in bondage to this world and ultimately sowing the seed of this world that will reap death or through faith? Do you belong to Christ? In Romans chapter six, Paul uses much of this same language as he writes to that church. In, in Romans six, verses 20 through 22, we read, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. He's saying you couldn't be righteous because you were slaves to sin. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So what we sow, we reap. The wages of sin is death. But now, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Maybe you're here with us this morning. You're like, I don't really like this talk of bondage and this talk of belonging to or, or being, being called a slave. Can I just tell you the truth of the matter? You may think of yourself as free, as not belonging to anybody or anything, but the truth is you either belong to sin and are a slave to sin, and you do what your flesh and your sin nature tells you to do, or you have been set free by the Son and now belong to Christ, and now a slave to God, you belong to Him, and you are doing good works not to save yourself, but as evidence of your salvation, and its end is eternal life. You are either a slave to sin or you belong to Christ. And that, my friend, is the most important question anyone will ask you. Who do you belong to? Now, let me tell you what most of the people out here gathered this morning believe above everything else in this world. They believe that they belong to Christ because they, through faith, have believed in a very simple message. I've referred to it this entire sermon. It's the good news of Jesus. We often call it the gospel. It's this very simple truth that God created everything that we see. He created the entire universe. There is one true living God. He's the creator and sustainer of this world, and he is holy. He's completely perfect. And as the crowning work of his creation, he made us human beings, men and women, and because we have chosen to sin, we are eternally separated from God. There is a chasm that lies between God and us because of his holiness and our sin that our good works could never span, could never cross. But in eternity past, even before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us God made a plan to send Jesus, his only son, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to be raised from the grave by the power of God so that God could redeem a people for himself. But the good news of the gospel is not automatically applied to our lives. We have to go from being dead in our trespasses and sin to made alive in Christ. We, we go from being outside of the family of God to being inside. We go from being enemies of God to being children of God. And this happens when the Holy Spirit takes what the Bible says is a heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. And you say, well, how can I know if that's happening for me? Well, if you hear the gospel today and believe in 
faith. Here's the good news, my friend. It's happening for you. You can believe this today. You can trust in Christ today. You can go from being a slave to sin to being to belonging to God, to being set free from the tyranny of this world by faith in him and by faith in him alone. This is the the why the gospel seems so upside down to us. People say, well, don't I, don't, don't I have to have a certain amount of church attendance or don't I need to do a certain amount of good things or pastor, you're gonna ask me for money. Do I need to give some money? Like, can I buy my way into this? The truth is all of those things are things we've made up. No, you don't have to do any of those things to be saved. You will do those things when you are saved as obedient to Christ, but that obedience doesn't save us. What saves you is simple, faith in Jesus. So my question are you still a slave to sin? If so, put your faith and trust in Jesus today, my friend. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved and you too can belong to Christ. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us and our band's gonna come up and sing. And as we, after, we, uh, after I pray, I'm gonna give a few more instructions and we're gonna worship God together. So let's pray. Father, I pray now thanking you for, for calling your people out of darkness and into light, giving us new life in Christ, setting us free, knowing that we can be free because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. We thank you for this good news. We pray, God, that if there's anybody gathered here with us today, they've never believed that, they, they've believed that they could do it on their own, would they come to saving faith in Jesus now? Would they trust in this good news, trust in this gospel, believe and be saved? Father, we ask you that you would regenerate hearts of men and women and boys and girls. I would believe. And as your believing church gathers here and, and we come now to sing some more, we sing praises to you because we believe you are the one who has redeemed us from our sin. You are the one, you alone. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. And you may say, what do I do? If I, if I believed that, I've never believed that before, what, what do I do? Am I gonna have to go out in front of all these people and, and, and do something? No, here's gonna be simple. We're gonna sing two songs, right? We're, singing two, we're gonna sing two songs. It's gonna take us about eight minutes to do it. And we've got this tent right over here. There's some people at it. I'm gonna go stand over there with those people. And if you say, you know what? I, I need to know more about how I can trust Christ because I've never done that. I need to know what it means to go from being a slave to sin, to belonging to, to Christ and God. How do I do that? I'm gonna stand with those folks. You should come over there and talk to me as the rest of our church sings and then we can talk some more uh, as, as we eat. So would you come find me right over here at this tent if that's you. Church family, I invite you to stand with us as we sing now.